Hi, everybody. I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is Season 4, Episode 8, and I'm reading the second half of Chapter 7 from the book Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. Chapter 7 is called, He Will Delight Over You with Singing. Today is Thursday, October 15th. Uh, beautiful fall weather we've been having up here in Michigan, but the big news is the uh, the driving test that I was practicing with my daughter last night, uh, she passed this morning. She came literally within a couple of inches of not passing the parallel parking uh, part of the exam, just like her dad, but she passed just like her dad, and she goes to get her driver's license tomorrow. So congratulations, Liz. Way to go. Uh, and Stay off the sidewalks. I'll, there'll be another Rosso driving sometime soon. Hey, this has been so much fun Listen, reading this delight book with you. Please check out the book. Send the link to a friend. Invite someone. I, I've noticed oh, as we've continued to go through this book reading, the Next Step community has continued to get more and more likes and follows. And that's really an important part of what we're doing here is just getting people into the family, let them see what's going on. I put a link in tonight's pod, uh, podcast and Facebook Live here that uh, is a link that you can sign up for the Next Step community and be on our mailing list, get regular uh, monthly e-news updates, find out when a new book gets published, things like that. So you might want to check that out and just sign up for whatever information from the Next Step community that you'd like to see on a regular basis. So check that out in the description of the link. <clears throat> um, decided that we're going to be able to finish Chapter 7 tonight. And instead of breaking Chapter 8 up with the long weekend, I think I'll just start reading Chapter 8 next week. So we're not going to read Friday night, tomorrow night, October 16th. I'll be back on Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, and look forward to seeing you there. Enjoy your weekend. My kids have a long weekend off of school too, so give me a little bit of a break and you a little bit of a break. I, I don't know if we'll keep reading every Friday or keep not reading every Friday. I think it'll kind of depend on the chapter. I want to spend just the right enough time on the chapter, but not too long either. So we're shooting for that. 25, 28 to 35 minute kind of window as we read together. <clears throat> it's about as much as I can handle, probably you too, right? So hey, thanks again for being with us. I'm so glad you're here. What a joy to be able to share this book with you. And tonight we get to dig back into Zephaniah 317, starting with the section called The Song of the Mighty Warrior that begins on page 92 if you're reading along at home. The Song of the Mighty Warrior. The scriptures provide us with a variety of images and concepts to help us get our heads around who God is and what God's delight means in our lives. God is both king and father, and the tender compassion of a mother for her unborn child is also a central feature of God's character. If you missed last night, go back, and that was kind of what last night's recording was all about. Going back to Zephaniah 3, it's easy to imagine this verse as a beautiful description of a mother with her baby. The Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's the English Standard Version's approach to Zephaniah 3.17. Remember, I told you, that's how I always imagined that verse. But not anymore. What changed for me? Well, I actually read Zephaniah chapter 3 a little more closely in context. It's amazing how going back to a verse you think you know can open up all kinds of things you never imagined. 
I think the joy of reading scripture closely in context is related to what the psalmist calls the delicious delight of meditating or chewing on God's word. We'll get to that in a later chapter. If we go back to this awesome verse in its context, we find not a mother singing over her infant, but a father, king, and mighty warrior who rescues a beloved child and rejoices over her with singing. Let's take a closer look at this image of God's powerful song of joy in light of what leads up to it. A little more context. The book of Zephaniah is three short chapters you can read in one sitting. The book opens by giving us an idea when we are in the history of God's people. Zephaniah is writing during the reign of King Josiah, one of the few shining lights in the dark decline of the line of David. Josiah actually found a copy of the scriptures during the temple during a temple renovation project. It seems they had misplaced their only copies of the Bible. And reading God's word for the first time in recent memory, King Josiah decided they might want to rethink their relationship with the God of Covenant and all the other gods of the nations around them. <laughs> Go figure. <clears throat> when Josiah's reforms did some real good, while Josiah's reforms did some real good, they were too little too late to prevent the nation from being carted off into Babylonian exile. God's people had utterly turned their backs on the God of salvation. You can hear the pending doom drawing nearer in the first chapter of Zephaniah. Judgment is ready to fall on God's people because they have turned away from worshiping the true God and gone after gods like Moloch, the God you sacrifice your children to, and Baal, the God you typically worship through prostitution. So yeah, things weren't great. And like at the time of Noah, when the inclination of every heart was all evil all the time, the devastating judgment of God is about to wipe out people who know they are sin sinning and refuse to repent. Zephaniah chapter 2 widens the scope to the sins of the surrounding nations and their judgment as well. Then chapter 3, the last chapter of Zephaniah, begins by returning to the way perversity has permeated the people of God. The leaders are like lions devouring their victims. The judges are like ravenous wolves feeding on the helpless. The prophets take bribes and tell lies. lies. The priests are defiling the temple. Oof. All evil, all the time. God laments the coming destruction and wonders aloud why these beloved people just won't listen or come back. God is trying to get their attention because time is running out and these people set their alarm clocks early so they can get a head start on the evil they have planned for the day. Up to this point, the book of Zephaniah is pretty bleak. Intentional, relentless sinfulness terrible judgment about to fall, and callous hearts that refuse to repent. Not a happy combination for anyone involved, including God. Then, midway through the last chapter, the fire of judgment transforms into a fire of purification. Wonder of wonders, even the Enemy nations are purified, and even foreign people abandon their foreign gods for a, for a relationship with the one true God. 
the haughty and stubbornly rebellious are removed, the exiles are brought home, and God's relationship with these people is restored. Judgment follows persistent rebellion, but mercy supersedes judgment. That's the context of Zephaniah 3, verses 14 to 17. The prophet is looking ahead to a time of restoration when he exclaims, Sing, daughter of Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Zephaniah 3, 14-15 NIV The people who had come under God's comprehensive judgment because of their comprehensive sin are now called daughter, a beloved part of the family. Zion, Israel, and Jerusalem are all different ways to refer to the same people. God's people are pictured as a little girl the daughter of the king, so I I guess that makes her a princess. Daughter Zion was threatened on all sides by her enemies. She was captive, a prisoner, but her grief and fear have been turned into the jump up and spin around and start singing and shouting variety of physical and emotional response we have called joyful delight. The promise continues. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, and do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3, 16-17, NIV. This is not the tender lullaby of a pregnant mother singing over the child in her womb. This is the boisterous battle song of a victorious champion. We get to see that moment when, still hot from battle, the mighty warrior finds his darling daughter through the fray. He rushes to her, picks her up in his arms, and twirls her around in her joy. The battle took its toll. The mighty warrior is bruised and bloodied. He bears wounds in his hands and side. But the joy, the joy of being reunited with his darling makes it all worthwhile. The enemies have been defeated. The danger and the fear have fled. Now, finally, the embattled warrior surrounds his daughter with loving arms. His delight overflows until her song of joy is drowned out by the victorious hymn of the king. Hold on to that image just a little longer. Watch the little girl weep in relief as she clings to his neck. See the upturned face of the king beaming in delight. Notice the sweat and the blood from his forehead mingle with tears of joy. A ridiculous but contagious smile shining through his beard as he sings. Witness her hair pouring down over the armor on his shoulder. Watch the sword of victory clatter to the ground as he tightens his embrace. For the battle is over. The victory is won. The father's longing, that long, painful longing, has finally passed. His daughter's fear 
has been replaced with joy. She is no longer vulnerable, no longer captive, no longer afraid. And the king sings. Oh, how he sings to have his darling in his arms again. The next section is titled, The Joy of Being Rescued. In order to rescue his little girl, the mighty warrior has to defeat her enemies. In Zephaniah 3, those enemies seem to have two distinct origins. Some of the enemies are identified simply by the results of their actions. Fear. These enemies cause hands to hang limp and hearts to tremble. They are external forces that lead to terror. Some of the enemies the warrior king overcomes are the kinds of things that make you afraid. But there is another enemy present in the promise. Maybe the context of the book of Zephaniah makes it a little more obvious. But some of the enemies in Zephaniah 3 appear to be internal, even well-deserved. The Lord has taken away your punishment. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. Constant and persistent sin had turned God's people into God's enemies. They ignored God, denied God, doubted God, and mocked God. They gave up on God's promises and traded in their identity as God's chosen people. The first three and a half chapters of Zephaniah make clear in no uncertain terms that the sinful rejection of God by these beloved people has started a blood feud. These people have made themselves God's arch nemesis. Then here at the end of the book, when all hope seems lost, a great reversal takes place. The very sin that made me God's enemy, the very punishment I justly deserved, the rebuke that should rightly fall on my head, gets turned into the real enemy. Although it was my sin, my own sin, my own most grievous sin that broke my relationship with God, that same sin gets cast as a captor. I'm the beloved daughter bound by a force too powerful for me to defeat. I have come under the ownership of the enemy and my dad is going to do something about it. Let that sink in for a minute. Your failure to love God or to love your neighbor, your failure to trust or believe, your willing rebellion and your eager unfaith, even when it was all your fault, your own sin is an enemy God is determined to defeat. Even when that little girl was powerless against her enemies, even when she had given up hope in her exhaustion. Even if she had cried herself to sleep, cursing the father who never seemed to come to the rescue, none of that could hinder the almighty warrior from coming to save. Verse 
Being sinful is no excuse for sin. There are plenty of passages that clearly show how my sin makes me an enemy of God. Yet there are also passages that see my sin as something distinct from who I actually am in Christ. My sin, even when it is my fault, can also be viewed as a captor, a kidnapper, an enemy. Knowing and hating my own propensity for weak faith and self-indulgent behavior, I can say with the Apostle Paul, although I wanted to good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 7, 21 to 25 in the NIV. The sin for which I am personally responsible is also something I experience as an enemy, an enemy that God, my warrior king, has promised to defeat. The blood guilt that caused a blood feud will take a blood price to be removed, but the mighty warrior enters the fray fully knowing the cost. And the result of the final battle is this. The enemies are scattered. The captives are set free. The king has his daughter back in his arms and their mutual delight in loving and being loved overflows in a song of joyful reunion. Already now that's true for you. Already now the death of Jesus on the cross has ended your blood feud with God. Already now the resurrection of Jesus from the dead means sin and death have no final say over you. Your doubt, your sin, your rebellion, your faithlessness are all real enemies. But they don't stand a chance against the relentless pursuit of the warrior king who was once crowned with thorns. Your sins are forgiven, your blood guilt paid for, your unfaith redeemed, your bitter tears of anger and doubt and shame have been wiped away. Already now you are forgiven, already now you have been brought home, already now your father, the king, rejoices over you with singing. Oh, I love that image. And I love that that kind of faithfulness to complex truth. We've talked about that in here before, right? So it is scripture is very clear that my own sin is my responsibility and no excuse for it. It makes me God's enemy. And the scripture is also very clear. I can also experience even my own sin that's my fault as an enemy I'm struggling against and losing the battle with sometimes, but I don't trust in my own ability to overcome my sin. I've got a mighty warrior who's going to save me from that.
promises already now, Jesus has saved me from my sins, and it actually gets better. <clears throat> Last section for tonight is called Eternal Songs of Eternal Belonging. Already now, and yet, now is not as good as it's going to get. Like so many images and promises from the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills the words of Zephaniah 3 in his life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Spirit. But Jesus won't consummate, bring to full completion any of the Old Testament promises in any final or ultimate sense until he comes again in glory. The dead are raised and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Already. And not yet. I know our God has not yet had the full and complete victory promised in Zephaniah 3 for a couple of reasons. First, there are still things that make me afraid. Aren't there still things that make you afraid? If you pick up the weekly prayer list at any local congregation on any given Sunday, you will find real and legitimate reasons to fear. A diagnosis that is still a question mark can bring real fear. The return of a cancer you thought was in remission can bring real fear. The prospect of losing your job and not finding another for months or years at a time legitimately brings fear for the whole family. Friends and loved ones serving in the military overseas during times of international uncertainty, projected paths of hurricanes or wildfires, news of another school shooting, the ongoing rise of an opioid epidemic, the threat of a recurring pandemic. Just praying for people at your church or in your community can make your hands limp, your knees tremble your heart melt. Add to that prayer the list add to that prayer list your own fears, real or imagined, the dread that comes from expecting to hear at any moment it's terminal. We're downsizing. I want a divorce. Zephaniah three can't have come completely true yet. The enemies that cause fear still circle around the gate. They act as if they've never heard of Zephaniah, and they certainly don't expect a warrior king anytime soon. Illness, addiction, brokenness, loss, they all still have power over me, power to cause fear. And if I'm honest, my own sin contributes to that brokenness and fear. That's the other reason I know Jesus can't be done fulfilling Zephaniah 3. My own sin is one of my worst enemies, and that enemy still has power in my life. It's still so easy for me to doubt, so easy for me to think trusting is foolish, so easy to focus on my own will, my own ways, my own advantage, my own fear. By faith, I am already the little girl in the arms of her victorious rescuer.
but by sight. Day in and day out, I am surrounded by a world of fear and the reality of my own sin. It's not always going to be like that. As much comfort and joy as the promise brings already now, it gets even better. Delight can be elusive while we wait, but delight is the status quo of the reality for which we wait. Already now you have a foretaste of the feast to come, but the actual feast, the feast to come, will be consistent with the appetizers and yet far exceed them. Zephaniah 3 is already true because of Jesus, and Zephaniah 3 will be even more true when Jesus comes again. Already now you have your mighty warrior by faith. On that day, you will have your mighty warrior by sight. Already now, even your sin can't keep you from his arms. On that day, you will be done with sin once and for all. Already now you have hope and courage in the face of fear. On that day, fear will be a thing of the past. On that day. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. On that day, breath will fill your resurrection lungs and you will join in new creation shouts of praise in the very presence of your mighty warrior and king. On that day, the Father's longing, that long and painful longing, will finally have passed. Your fear will be replaced with joy. You will no longer be vulnerable, no longer be captive, no longer be afraid. And the king will sing. Oh, how he'll sing to have his darling back in his arms again. On that day, the only thing louder than the songs of saints and angels will be the song that rises from the throne itself as the mighty warrior sings for joy because you are home, home at last, home forever. To know that song and to receive that song, to have that song sung over you means you have a place in the eternal family. You are loved, you are special. You belong. That's the eternal song of belonging. Jesus is singing over you even now. You can hear it even now with the ears of faith. But nothing you have now by faith will compare to the delight and the intimacy and the joy that will be yours when your faith is fulfilled, when the promise comes completely true, and Jesus sings you that song of eternal belonging face to face. For now, 
you still get to hum along. For now you can trust a mighty warrior is rejoicing over you with singing. For now you can rest in your dependence on Jesus, who not only lays his hands of blessing on the little ones, but takes defenseless, dependent babies in his arms. Already now, you are carried by Jesus. And already now, that makes Jesus sing for joy. Will you hold on to that thought this weekend? Already now, you make Jesus sing for joy. Oh, I know you're messed up, and I know you're sinful, and I know it's hard. But already now, you make Jesus sing for joy. What wonderful good news. We're taking tomorrow night, Friday night off. If you have the book, there's a prayer for delight at the end of the chapter. There's some discussion questions at the end of the chapter as well. I invite you to share some of those questions with some people in your family or in your workplace. Some of them don't have to be particularly Christian questions. They can just be icebreakers for other people in your life as you get to know them a little bit better. So have a great weekend. I won't see you tomorrow. I'll see you Monday night. And remember, you make Jesus sing for joy. Thanks for being here, everybody. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.